0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Um, I'm just warning you, I've got 12 sermons and uh, i will just preach 9 tonight. Okay, this is Africa. Hallelujah. Okay, so they've locked the doors, it's raining outside. Um, you can study with your book under your pillow and your ink. No, 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 let's not start a doctrine. But um, it's like like it to be. And what a privilege to share the Word of God. You know, the the Word of God and the presence of God is the most valuable thing we have. The fact that God speaks to us. Uh, It's not what you do that makes you a son of God or a daughter of God. It's because we know Him, because He's chosen us. And so I'm I'm going to talk a bit about uh, the lordship of Jesus in our lives tonight. And uh, I believe the church, there's a massive split. I'm talking about the real church of Jesus Christ. There's a bit of a split in that some people follow Jesus just as savior, but there's a group of people that are really worshipers. And it's a season where they're deciding to follow him and to make him lord of their lives. How many of you were here this morning in in church? Just raise your hand quickly because I'm going to just start with repeating the scripture that we started with this morning. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We value your presence. We thank you that you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that there's a massive, massive rain, spiritual rain coming. And tonight we're preparing ourselves for that rain. Tonight we want to see you. We don't want to see your breakthrough. We don't want to look at your hands. We want to look at your face. We want to behold you. We want to know you. And we want to thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to bring revelation and inspiration and courage. You're the Spirit, Holy Spirit of wisdom and might and counsel and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And we want to thank you that, Holy Spirit, we we say you're the guest of honor here tonight to show us Jesus and the Father. And we come to submit to your ways. Lord, we don't need a nice sermon. We don't need nice songs. We need you to open the eyes of our understanding to see. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. In Isaiah chapter 6, and um, I want to encourage you to also come in the morning services, because there we get a bit more into the Scriptures. But I shared this morning on this Scripture, and... Um, you can read the whole encounter with that Isaiah had with, with the Lord. And there are very few people in the Old Testament and in the New that really saw God. And we probably all read it, that how he falls on his face and he looks to God. He goes into the temple, his eyes open up and he sees the, the heavenlies. He sees God. And uh, the train of his robe fills the temple. And I'm, uh, we're reading again. In in verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, or Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim; each one had six wings: with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, "Holy, holy, holy, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." We see these angels, these. Creatures worshiping God. And they're not singing love, love, love. They're not singing grace, grace, grace. They're singing about His primary character that is revealed in the heavenlies. It's His holiness. The fact that in heaven we're going to see things that we've never seen on earth. We're going to see colors that we've never seen on earth. We're going to see things about God that we're going to just like, wow. For the first 10 million years. yeah, Just staring at god um, uh, stephen that's coming here in two weeks time his wife who died she was in a coma for i think 24 hours or 48 hours and they had to eventually sort of strap her arms to the hospital bed because for those hours as she saw this open vision of heaven she she went like this and she just like wow all the time wow <laughs> you know she wanted to cover her face but then she would pluck out all the stuff that was in into her body, so they had to strap her arms against the hospital bed because she just said she saw colors that she's never seen before. <laughs> and here we see Uzziah, the king that died. And you can almost miss the whole story because I believe the church is there again. We we're there where God wants to reveal himself. But but you there's sort of almost a transition between this one king and then the revelation of Uzziah. And I spoke about it this morning. I'm not going to speak about it in length again. But Uzziah was a very good king. And he was the king of, a, of the southern tribe of the, the tribe of Judah. Every tribe was known by certain things. And Judah was the tribe that worshipped and praised. They were the ones that walked in front. They were the ones that just like proclaimed God, who God was. And that's why we sing, and in Revelations, we sing a lot about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because they were the praise singers. They were the one that was just like going for God. You know? And here's this king that ruled for 52 years. And he was a good king. He invented a lot of stuff. He was really a great man and until at the end of his life. Now Jonah, Amos, all these big prophets that we read in the Old Testament, they all lived during his reign. And yet, at the end of his life, this king decided, well, I'm, I'm so good and I'm so nice that I'm going to actually do the sacrifices myself. And so what he did as the king, because he wasn't allowed to do that, there was another tribe, the Levites. They weren't supposed to work, and they were not allowed to work, but they were the priests. That's why the priestly order in Scripture always came out of the Levitical tribe, the Levites. And so so here this king comes and he says, I'm going to do the sacrifice because I'm so good. And pride kept God into his heart. And he went to the temple. He wanted to go and sacrifice. And then there was a a priest. um, His name was Azariah, And he took 80 other priests and just said, please, king, don't do this. Don't go because it's not your job description. Don't just assume stuff and don't become familiar with God. Don't just assume you as the king because you're so good and you've done so many nice things that you can go and burn profane fire, fire and do sacrifices before God. And the king just flatly ignored him, went in, and the moment when he did the sacrifice, he was struck with leprosy until his death. So eventually he had to go and live in another palace and it, it, was, just, it was just crazy. And so here we, we pick up with this story of Isaiah, but he had to wait for that king to die. <laughs> he, he couldn't, God couldn't reveal himself and he didn't want to because he realized like if you want to walk in the revelation of who God really is, then you cannot go with that other pride in your heart and just assuming a lot of stuff and with a lack of the fear of God. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit tonight. Are, are you with me? You're very quiet in this place, okay? But here Isaiah then sees God and then he falls before God and then the, the angel flies over because the first thing Isaiah does is he says, woe is me. I'm undone and I come from people with an unclean lips." So he says, my culture, my identity that the world puts on me is like, that's crazy. But Lord, I, I'm going to die here in front of you because that's what the Jews believe. That if they really see God, then they will die. In his fullness. And so, yeah, Isaiah has this revelation. He didn't like do a 10 steps thing of how to become a better prophet so that he can see God. It was just suddenly God decided that He's gonna reveal Himself to Isaiah. And then He calls Isaiah in the first eight verses. And Isaiah was probably the prophet that saw the he saw so many things, but he calls him back to a group of people that are stiff-necked, hard-necked stubborn, and they never actually listened to the words of Isaiah. Although he prophesied, he prophesied Jesus coming, he prophesied King Cyrus, there there were so many prophecies hundreds of years later that even Jesus quoted, because Isaiah could only prophesy from the place where he first saw God, and where God had to cleanse him from his culture, from his background, from a lot of stuff. And so, that's normally where God comes to cleanse us, if we want to be worshipers, if we want to be singing, I bless you, the lion of the tribe of Judah, to restore that worship and praise in our lives. That's where it starts, right here. Yeah, and yeah. What do we see? How do we see God? Now I'm going to jump to the New Testament. Are you, why are you so quiet tonight? Are you listening? Huh? James, are you agreeing? Okay, is so my doctrine still right? Okay, cool. Okay, James is the worship leader, yeah. So... Now let's go, let's go to Luke chapter 5, because here we see almost the same thing, but it's happening in the New Testament. And most people don't know that the disciples were chosen twice. So in the first time when Jesus called the disciples, Nathaniel and Peter and Philip and a lot of these guys, he would walk up to them as individuals and he says, hey, would you come and follow me? Would you come and follow me? But the actual calling happened a little bit later when they were fishing. And we find this story in Luke chapter 5. And when he had stopped speaking, verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, say nevertheless. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Nevertheless, at your word, say at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. Thank you. There's some people here. And some people at the back there, I don't know about these people here, can, can we hear you? Okay. Turn to your neighbour and say, Nevertheless, at his word. <laughs> so yeah, you know, Simon comes and these disciples come and they say, Well, Jesus, do you know what? You're the carpenter. You're the carpenter. Stick to furniture, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We're the fishermen. We've been catching, trying to catch all night. And this time of the day, there is no fishy-fishy, no salmon. 11 a.m. breakfast time is over. It's lunch time now, okay? So so don't serve breakfast. Don't ask for the breakfast menu when it's lunch, Jesus. This is like, no, no, no. We don't catch fish this time of the day. And the, Jesus says, uh-uh. I want to teach you something, Simon. But Simon answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, lay down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him was astonished at the catch of fish with that already taken. It's the first time in the New Testament that the disciples uses the term Lord for Jesus. Hey, it's cool to follow him. It's cool to know him as your Savior. It's cool to be with Jesus. But then there's a part of that relationship in your life where Jesus comes and he says, I don't just want your weaknesses. I don't just want your sin. I want to be your Lord. And so he walks into the area of fishing. The area of their expertise. The area where they think they had everything in control. And we're going to talk about control. (laughs) Because the world, the Bible says, the world is under the control or the sway of the wicked one. But here Jesus says, if if you want to follow me, then you're going to need to give up control. You're going to need to learn to surrender. And that's where lordship starts. And we're going to talk about that. I want to tell you a story. As it was raining out tonight, I was remembering, remembering we, um, we flew to Mumbai a couple of years ago. I think it was the second time when we went to India. Now, India is, is an is a incredible India, but it's a different country, okay? There's apparently 60 million people just living in Mumbai. So we've learned some lessons, and now we got to the airplane. Uh, we landed in Mumbai, and what we did is we gave each one a piece of paper in the team. So we were three guys. We, we sort of got them together in three groups of three, and um, and we gave them a piece of paper with the address where they should go to because now when we landed there, it's raining. And when it's raining in Mumbai, it's the monsoon. It pours, buckets, dams, everything you can think of. You know, just like, it just pours for hours, and there's floods all over the place. How, place. How many of you have been to India? Lots of you have been on missions there because we have great great friends in Mumbai. And, and some other parts in the northern parts of India that we send mission teams to. And so here we land, and we get out, and now three, three together, stick with your buddy, 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 and the three of us, we're going out. Now we find these little tuk-tuks. Now a tuk-tuk is like a... We had some here on campus. It's like this little thing that, you know, this one guy drives in front, and three at the back with the bags, and here we go. But it's raining. It's pouring. We have our piece of paper, some money. We're not going to get lost. And so we drive out of the... Airport and as we're going, everybody just like going. We, got, we don't, we've lost all the rest but we're about a, a kilometer out of the airport, and then suddenly we're trying to negotiate with the tuk-tuk driver on the price of this trip. He looked at the thing and we thought like he doesn't really know where he's going, but but at least he says yes, yes, yes. I recognize that. Yeah, and then I go like this, you know. Then you think like. That's actually yes in India, you know? And you think, like, what are you doing, you know? Like, it's either uh, I don't know or yes, I know. But then they go like this, you know? And then you already stand by faith. So we have this piece of paper and we, we negotiate and the guy is just double the price. And we thought like, this is it, no way further. We are not going to pay what he wants. So the three of us, quite st- stubborn, strong-willed guys, decided... We're going to get off this thing right here in the middle of nowhere because we are going to show him that we are not going to pay him what he wants. So we got off. And he drove off. And we were very excited. Ego in place. We're going to conquer the world for Jesus. So he's standing there. It's raining. So we wave at the next tuk-tuk. Here comes this guy. He stops. We get into the tuk-tuk. And so I asked this guy, let's say his name was Peter. So I said to Peter, Peter, so give the driver the piece of paper. And he says, you have the piece of paper. I said, no, 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 no. Where's the paper? And then we looked in the distance, you know. There's an old song that sang... From a distance, (laughs) and it was gone. The tuk tuk and the piece of paper. And we're in the middle of 70 million people. So we got into the tuk tuk and we didn't know where we're going. So at least we knew this one district, there's only like 12 million people living there. So at least we've we've measured the part, you know. So we say, drive there. So here we go. So, what happened in the meantime is the team got to the destination. Now we've got about five hours, then they must fly out or go to the, the airport, but we're staying at this spa. So, they, they're there and they're waiting for us and they're waiting for us, and there's no tuk tuk and there's no other three. Three are missing and their team leader. Da da da. So, here we drive and we drive and, and we drive 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 four hours and we're still driving. So eventually we got to this area, and now we stop. And if you don't know, then the golden rule is pray. Just say, Jesus, help. That's a good prayer. Okay, so here we stop, and now we think we've got it. So now what we do is we feel like, go right, Yes, yeah? so we go right. Then we went left, and then we go right again. And, and we stop at every second street. We stop, we pray, and so we go, and we go, and we go. So we drive about a half an hour. Eventually we stop at a place again, and I look to this little cafe here and i think like oh we've been here two hours ago (laughs) so we drove all around the plate (laughs) so so all of our direction didn't work that well so now we're sitting there and it's raining everything is wet we are like crazy we think we're gonna miss all our airplanes all that stuff and then we just decided right there to surrender say god we're gonna surrender we're gonna worship you so we just do that And for for about five minutes, we just worshiped the Lord. I'll I'll never forget it in my life. What happened in the meantime is that the team started to pray for us and started to worship. So they were standing on the third floor in the little apartment, and they started to worship. And there's this one guy, while he's worshiping, he hears a voice. He says, go outside onto the balcony and call the team to come. (laughs) Call them in the spirit. So we're worshiping here on this little corner in front of this little cafe and say, Lord, speak to us, Lord show us, show us where. And the next moment we hear a call. Come forth. And I say, Lord, into your hands I commit my You know. I'm like but he calling us. So what happened is we were stopping at on the corner and they were on the third floor. This guy comes out in the rain and he calls forth prophetically the team. <laughs> and we say, yes, here we are! <laughs> yeah. And that's how we got united. But in any case, so <laughs> the story I want to tell is, is, is simply because we always have these schemes. We have, we have this stuff, you know. And then God wants us to surrender. But do you know how difficult it is to surrender? When you are in control. Sometimes when other things are in control of our lives. And so, yeah, at this call that Jesus calls his disciples, he says, I need to teach you this one thing. Even in the area where you think you've got it all together. That's the way I want to show to you that I want to be your Lord. The word for Lord is the word Kyrios, which means master, owner, the possessor, the one who has complete control. You see, when Jesus is just your Savior, it means you're going to go to heaven, but you reap all the benefits. You are there for the promises of God. You are there for the breakthroughs. You need God like a slot machine just when you are in trouble. But when he is Lord, God re- reaps all the benefits. Then you realize that suddenly it changes. Yes, He's your Father, and yes, He loves you, and yes, He cares for you, and and yes, He's going to provide for you. But there's a place where you have a relationship with God, where you begin to realize, like, Lord, I'm actually here to serve you. You are not here to serve me. And you can see that in your prayers. We We can say, oh, Lord, help me. I myself and me, I love myself so much, but Lord, me, 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 I, me, 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 me Lord. And then when it's like, oh, when we need that breakthrough, then, pa And you know what? Every time He will come, every time He will meet your need. But then sometimes we need to ask the question will you ever be fulfilled in a relationship like that with God? Is that really all that, that it's about? And so the church is moving, and I I don't know about you, but if you don't know it, but almost 60%, more than 60% of the church today is suffering for the cause of Christ. 60% of the church worldwide, even more, is being persecuted while you and I are sitting here. In the two hours that you've come to church, around about 40 people would have died physically for the sake of Jesus. Sure. Then suddenly your paradigm begins to shift about, well, Lord, am I just a consumer or are you king? Is there a kingdom that cannot be shaken? And so in Matthew 6, listen to this, because this is the biggest sin, one of the biggest sins in the modern-day charismatic Western church. Peter walks up to Jesus, and Jesus is beginning to talk about the cross. And he says to Jesus, verse 22, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Because Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. We're going to rule together. And we're going to make things happen. And listen to this. This is Jesus' definition of not having the fear of God or being familiar with God. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Sure, that's not one of our little scriptures for the day that we get on version, eh? Speak it over me, Lord. Release your prophecy. Get behind me, Satan. Oh, 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 I received that, Lord. (laughs) You are an offense to me. He's speaking to Satan, but he's speaking about the control that Satan has gotten over Peter. So he's not speaking to Peter but when the control of something else comes from the outside or we yield control to something that is not the Holy Spirit and God, it becomes offensive to God. Now, God can't get offended. Oh, he can. God can't get angry. Oh, yes, he can. Read the scripture. God never hates people. But there's some stuff that God doesn't like. And he doesn't like it when you and I yield control to something else that will destroy us. And listen to this. He says, for, the offense comes, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. If the opinion of man weighs higher than the opinion of God in your life, you have yielded control already to something else. And so Peter was yielding control to uh, higher voices in his head. Sometimes fears, sometimes false success, sometimes stuff that has been ministering to him. We don't know. We just realize at a stage, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'm, I'm praying for you because Satan came to ask for you and he wanted to sift you like wheat. But don't worry, you're going to make it because I've prayed for you. <laughs> so Peter was the loudmouth. He was the extrovert. He was going for it. And he got into trouble a lot of times. But, you know, I love it. I love jesus relationship with peter because at the end when when the ladies came and saw saw jesus resurrected and at the tomb then he says uh, go and tell the disciples and peter that i've risen because because jesus just loves that boldness he's not looking for perfection i mean he's not looking for people that's got it together but when we're familiar with God, it means that you and I, we're beginning to listen to other forces and fear and stuff or other expectations of God that, is, that we can't place on Him. But it's when we take into a position or relationship with God that is not scriptural. I said it this morning. Imagine the Queen of England would walk into that door right now. The old tanny, she's always like prim and proper. And then she walks like this. And there's always a rhyme in her head. Have you noticed? She goes like this. She walks, and she stops dignified. Wave. Then she, watch this. Then she touches her paws, and then she smiles. She practices at home, do you know? Wave, pull, smile. There's a song that goes, wave, pull, smile. That's just a joke. That's just a joke. But... But she's always prim and proper. She's not gonna come in here and say, "Hey dudes, I'm your granny. I wanna be cool." You know. What bam boogie. I'm the coolest queen upon the Yeah. But now you know what I've been doing the last couple of months. But anyway, sir. <laughs> but but son, if the queen walks into those doors then do you know what's going to happen? all of us are going to say like whoa shh royalty has just walked in but you know what we do? when Jesus walks into the room oh where's my cell phone? Jesus, shh, shh, stop, 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 stop. Look at the flowers. Oh, oh. Instagram, selfie. (laughs) I got him. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. Like we want to pause Jesus so that we can go on with our lives. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, what begins to happen is we lose the fear of God. In Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I'm going to say this with a lot of respect, but guys, stay away from preachers that don't talk about repentance and holiness. Please. You're setting a trap for yourself. That just always tells you how good you are and how good I am. And there's there's a place for that. In Christ, we're amazing. Outside of Christ, nothing is happening. But but there's a false thing that's coming to the church, a consumerism, where the church looks just like the world. And we have more smoke screens and more smoke machines and more stuff. And we want to be cool and all that stuff. And I've got nothing against the internet. I've got nothing against all the stuff that we do to make it more acceptable. But you can have all of that and the presence of God is not there. Because it lacks this one thing, is the fear of God. is a right understanding of who God is. He's not our buddy. He's our father. And he loves you unconditionally. And he accepts you in Christ, but he's also your Lord. And so how does it work? Sometimes it's like if you are the son of the president, then at home you can relate and you can love and experience the love of the president. But when that president stands in the White House and he makes a speech or in front of, in Washington, then you know your place. Why? Because you know the protocol. You know this is, now he's the president. He's, he's, He's fulfilling a different role. He's the king. So now I know my place. Now he's not my buddy. So control. Let's talk about this quickly. The Bible says Satan is the ruler of this world. And we're going to talk about it in maybe if we get to sermon number nine tonight. He has a desire for authority and the power to wield that authority. And that is what sin really is. Sin is giving something control over your life and you end up missing the will of God. You're saying to a habit... You're saying to something, that pornography. You're saying to that thing, that eating habit. You're saying to the internet or your Instagram. You're actually saying to him, do you know what? I can't live without you. So do you know what's going to happen? I need you every three minutes. I need you. And do you know the stats say now that people every 15 minutes at least, they get withdrawal systems if they don't look on this thing. So keep it out of your bedroom. Keep it out of the place where you're supposed to connect with God. Just try it. I dare you. I dare you for one week, just spend 10 minutes on this thing and see what withdrawal systems you're going to get. But see how free you're going to become. Because we give somebody else access to our lives. Have you seen these people? Now the whole group of people sitting there at the restaurant, the whole family, and everybody's like... And 35 minutes later, you think like, whoa. Are they they WhatsApping each other? You know... Are talking of, what, are, what are they talking to each other about, you know? But we've become so bored with real relationship because we're trapped. We've given up control. Now, a bit further than sin is idolatry. And that is that the thing that, that God wanted to deal with in the life of Isaiah and the life of Peter and the disciples... Is where there's the worship or the love of something or someone other than God, as if it was God. You can be in Dakar, Cosais, and you can worship the Eiffel more than what you worship God, very indirectly. But you're more proud of the place where you come from, the thing that you drive, the the stuff. It's actually worship. I don't know if you thought about that, but it's worship. Look at the soccer games, and I haven't got anything against sport, but look at it, it's worship. We all stand together, you know, come alone at home without the ball, you know, whatever. But it's like crazy how people on a Saturday has got mass, mass worship services. But on Sunday, (laughs) stiff upper lip. Drink your prune juice for the day and the devil stays away. But on Saturday, we're like, The ref, I'm going to kill you. Sunday, I'm a Christian. It's It's always the ref's fault, eh? But it's amazing. Every person is a worshiper. You are worshiping and you are passionate about certain things. Now, idolatry is anything that you worship above your worship for God. Control. And how do we give control? So, let's look at ungodly control. I'm going to just run through the list. Some of us have been subject in our lives, in our relationships even, to ungodly control. And then we get hurt. Sometimes even in church. Where somebody else becomes our master or this big word manipulation is where people have a hold on us or we start to have a hold on somebody else. We manipulate them with our emotions. We manipulate them. If you're going to do this, then I'm going to do that. But if you don't do this, then I'm or we emotionally just start to take control of people. We start to change them. Because we become familiar many times in our relationships. It's so funny. One of, one of the ladies here in church last Sunday morning. I don't know she's here, but I think she's here. She won't mind me saying that. But she's they married for a couple of years already. They've got kids that are out of school already. But she said when she got married, after about three weeks, she said to herself of being married, she said, "This husband of mine." His parents really did a bad job. But I'm going to make it right. I am going to change him. And she said six months later, the only one that changed was (laughs) Mwa. Then God started to show her what a bad job she was. Because it's amazing, eh? how we project stuff on other people, how we try to control them. And, and let me tell you, people, the world is like through, you'll see the on campus. Who's your friend? Who are you going to control? Who are you going to buy drinks for? Who are you going to sleep with? Who are you not going to sleep with? Da-na-na-na. I'm going to control you because I'm going to put something on the table so that it can have a hold on you. And the world, the world is full of that. We see fear and intimidation is the fruit of that. we people through fear. Look at the media. The media, every day you are bombarded with fear. Oh, the land grabbing stuff, this stuff, and the, the liar, the devil is lying. And everybody, when you, if I would take a, just a survey of how you feel about the land. then most of us would probably not say what God is saying about South Africa. We'll probably say what the media is saying because we've been controlled through manipulation and fear and intimidation by what we read every day terrorism is a next level of control it's organized system it's an organized system of intimidation and then you get the spiritual side of control it's witchcraft it's where you move outside it's you use another source another spiritual source and we see some of you have been subject to witchcraft in your life maybe through your family lines and then probably one of the most powerful ones that we get inside the church is called religion and the bible talks about it in romans chapter 8 verse 15 it says you've not received a spirit of bondage again to fear but you've received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father There's a freedom to cry out, Abba, Father. But there's another spirit at work in the church, and it brings bondage. It subjects you to fear because it always makes you focus on the outward to try and change what uh, what needs to change on the inward. So when God comes to you, God doesn't say, hey, here's the 10 steps. He says, I want your heart. If you want to make him Lord, start with your heart. Just start in your heart. Just start right there. Learn to surrender. But how do I do it? No, just surrender. Come into his presence. He's going to teach you. No, but how do I do it? Give me the 10 steps because I want on the outside to know the 10 steps of how to surrender. And then like, like, oh, I can't do this. And the moment when you say that, God says, yes, I've got you. <laughs> but it's not a control out of fear. It's a control out of his goodness because you've willingly healed it. You've not been subject to him taking an influence on you and trying to draw you in. it his invitation to come. And that's real relationship. Listen to this of how he said to, of the religious leaders of the time, Jesus said it, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men, men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And so we talk about soul ties sometimes, but we have emotional bondages sometimes. And that's why young people... That's why you don't sleep with other people outside of your marriage partner. Because the moment when you do that, it's not a physical act. You are yielding control to somebody else of something that is so intimate. You're giving it over to somebody else. You're giving somebody else control over your life. And that's why unforgiveness in your life will destroy you. Because unforgiveness, Jesus said, even when you come to the altar, leave your gift at the altar and go and make right, go and, go and forgive, go and make right with that person that has somebody, something against you. Because he, he knew that he did not want anybody to have control over us. And if there's unforgiveness in your heart, then what you do is you give that person a rightful place to hurt you constantly. Because that thing is with you all the time. And that's why it says, I says, I want you to learn to forgive. I, w- I want, to, want you to learn to bless your enemies. Because I want to be Lord of your life. No other Lord. And yet many Christians don't know that they're trapped. They're under the control of other things and other people. Let's just jump two slides and then we're going to end. Romans 6 verse 16. Do you not know... That to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. And so, what God calls us to as believers, He says, I, I, I want to raise up a generation of worshipers, a generation of obedient worshipers, where they learn to give their hearts to me. And I, I want to I show them who I am, but it's going it's it's to take something. It's going to take a trust from you and I to, to come into that place, come into the courts of God, come into the Holy of Holies, say, Lord, you are really Lord. I'm not going to take control into my own hands because some of us, we work so hard at just trying to be together, trying to, to portray this image, this image to the world out there, this image to our friends, and then we're not real. Because we're so afraid. What, what if they see that I am really not that good? Let me tell you, God, God sees everything. God sees when you wake up in the hair stands like this. And then that way. You can put up all the makeup. He's seen. He's seen when you like snored. You cannot hide anything from God. And yet, as man, we try to hide from God. So let's come back to the first scripture. There, where God reveals himself to Isaiah, and he says, or First, Isaiah dies to Isaiah, and then there's a certain part of that pride. Because pride is the only thing that closes the door to the grace of God in our lives. He says, Actually, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. And I am so excited about what God is doing here, what God is doing in your life, what God is doing in my life. Because we're moving toward a tipping point of surrender. But but we need to rid ourselves from all control, from all fear. (laughs) Because in His presence and in His perfect love, it casts out every fear. It actually says it violently removes fear out of your life. But when we have the rightful standing with God, when we know that I'm righteous because I've got obedience leading to righteousness in my life, I, I'll, I know Him as Lord. Yes, as Father, but also as Lord because I've come to the place of surrender. Now, in the sabbatical, after the first four weeks, I got withdrawal systems. Systems and symptoms. I'm just checking up on you. <laughs> They were awake. (laughs) Let me preach at them. (laughs) But it's it's amazing as to how much of our identity we derive from what we do. Because, you know, if I'm not a worship leader, and I'm not standing up there, then I don't feel significant. But with God, it's got nothing to do about what you do. It's about who you know. It's about Him. And that's what Jesus wanted to teach these disciples because they were going through some rough times. They ran away many times. You must read at the end of John where they went back to fishing again. And then Jesus stands to pry a barbecue and He's standing on the beach and He's just waiting for them. He's just chilling. And here they come. They've gone back to fishing. They've forsaken everything that he taught them for three years and that's the moment when Peter walks up onto the shore and he says to Peter Peter do you love me Peter and I can just see Peter's head just shaking and says I've missed it completely Lord I don't love you like unconditionally like you're asking me I'm loving you like a friend I I don't have the capacity to love you like you love me and then Jesus says feed my sheep They've just gone back to fishing. They've, they've walked away from everything. If I was Jesus, I would have said, <clears throat> Peter, was it the chicken or was it, the, no, no, the cock, the crew. And you denied me three times. Let's settle. <laughs> Repent. Let's have it out. Now. And, and he doesn't. He comes to meet you right where you are, and then he begins to show himself to you. Isn't that amazing about God? Isn't that amazing about his lordship? Because he says, I'm not like the world. I don't lord it over people. I don't force choices upon you. I always, come, I always want you to Come. Come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want to be your Lord, but it's not a Lordship like the world and every other thing that is just gunning for your head, gunning for your emotions, the voices in your head, all that stuff that's gunning for control of you. Jesus isn't gunning like that. Jesus says, Come. And when you see me, you're going to let go of all those things because you're going to realize that's nothing. You're going to realize that thing, those things will never fulfill you. You're going to realize that, like, never, never will that thing satisfy stuff in here that I will do. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am your fulfillment. And so we live in the generation that has become so bored just with life, just with nature, just with things. And you think, like, Lord, this is a mess. And I believe this is the generation that when they see him, they're going to let go of everything else because they're going to realize, like, hey, this is actually what we've been searching for. And now willingly we make you Lord of our lives. Will you stand with me tonight? So God gives you and I the freedom to choose. The freedom to surrender. And the challenge is, He wants all of you. Lord, how do I give all of me when I've sinned and I'm still sleeping with my girlfriend or I'm doing this? The Lord says, repent. Repentance means you're walking in a direction and you're realizing I'm in the wrong direction. But it's more than just realizing you're going in the wrong direction. You're actually seeing the goodness of God. You're coming to a revelation that, in my father's house, it works differently. In my father's house, there's freedom. In my father's house there's a ring and a robe and there's shoes. In my father's house it, it works differently the, the, the laws of that house is completely different. it's not Lord over me it's like and there's some of you that that tonight you need to forgive your parents you need to maybe, maybe forgive that father that abused you or, and I'm not saying it just like hey just move on with life because for, for some of us it's deep deep issues but there's some of us running away from life in Christ because we're motivated by fear. Some of you have made deep inner vows that I will never be controlled again. It's called rebellion. And you've got this strong will, but you're running, and you're running and you're tired. And the Lord says, I want you to come to your senses. I want you to come home. I want you to come to surrender. And everything inside of you says like, No, 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 no. Next week, Lord, I'm not one of those people that go to the front. God isn't looking for you to come to the front. He's looking for all of you. And all the excuses you're making and all of that stuff. And tomorrow, He'll knock on your door again. He says, I'm not going to lord it over you. I love you. I'm motivated by love. But that doesn't change anything of my holiness. You have to come to where I am. You already sent Jesus to come to where you are. To bring you out of your fishing mentality. Out of the culture. Like with Isaiah. He says, who can I send? And then he sends Isaiah. But he cleanses Isaiah's eyes and his mouth. And so... Maybe we're afraid sometimes of intimacy and surrender, but God says, I'm going to help you. But will you trust me? Stop living your relationship with God through other people or even through the church. Stop faking. Be real. Say, God, I want want to come. I want to know you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Thank you for listening.